0: Welcome to this episode of Church Grammar. Today's episode is a conversation with Dr. Matthew Levering. Dr. Levering is a Catholic theologian, and so we talked today particularly about the relationship between Catholics and Protestants, perhaps some misconceptions Protestants have about Catholics, some things that we can agree on or we might not realize that we agree on. And of course, there are going to be some differences and distinctions among Catholics and Protestants. That's no surprise at all. Some may listen to this and say that maybe I'm not Hard enough on Dr. Levering, or I don't press him far enough on some of the things he talks about. But the goal of this conversation was not a debate or a defense of Protestantism. It's really just a chance for a Catholic theologian to have some space to speak about what it means to be a Catholic to Protestants and particularly evangelicals, which are the majority of the audience for this podcast. He wrote a book for Zondervan, Was the Reformation a Mistake? And in there, he even says that the Reformation was good in some ways, that there were some abuses and some problems with the Catholic Church that needed to be addressed. And so he is a very complimentary Catholic when it comes to how he speaks about evangelicals and Protestants and has a real, meaningful, and deep desire for unity and reconciliation in the church where that's possible. And so that was the goal of this conversation today. So it's not to minimize the differences, but rather to talk about what are ways that we can love each other well, what are some ways that we can speak well of each other, even in the midst of our disagreements. So I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Dr. Levering. We are brought to you by B&H Academic. You can check out all of B&H Academic's latest books at bhacademic.com. They recently released a volume called Historical Theology for the Church, a great collection of essays on historical theology, so I encourage you to check that out. We're also brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. You can go to csbible.com to find out about all their latest study Bibles and other resources. One thing I wanna highlight today is the Christian Standard Commentary, of which I am a general editor, and the first two volumes are out. They are actually second editions of Tom Schreiner's First, Second Peter, and Jude from the New American Commentary series and Dr. Timothy George's Galatians commentary. There'll be a lot of new volumes coming out later with a handful of new American commentary volumes in their second edition. So feel free to go check those out and let us know what you think. And now my conversation with Dr. Levering, but first, no big deal. Matthew Levering on the line. Matthew, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Hey,
1: wonderful to be here.
0: I read your book recently, Was the Reformation a Mistake from Zondervan? And as a Protestant evangelical Baptist, seeing a Catholic theologian write a book of this title, you know, I opened it thinking, hopefully this will be positive and kind. You know, you wrote it for Zondervan. I've read your work before and interacted with your work. So I know that you're very a kind scholar and theologian, but I was really encouraged by this book, in particular, um, just your posture toward Catholicism, Protestant debate. So, um, thank you, first of all, just for being a kind, unifying voice in the church that I think we need more of.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Well, I just, I, I love evangelical uh, work, and I I love the evangelical commitment of Christ and the deep deep knowledge of Scripture and and the and the way that evangelicals care about our faith. Yeah,
0: so I'm going to read. I want to read just a a little excerpt from the book. It's the second paragraph of the introduction. And when I read this, I was like, okay, I'm in for the rest of this book. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'll read that uh, for the listeners. So you say, since I hold the Catholic doctrinal positions, I consider that the reformers made some doctrinal mistakes. This will become clear in the book's nine chapters. I do not call the reformation a mistake. However, the faith and lived example of my Protestant friends can hardly be reduced to a mistake, nor are their profound scriptural and theological insights, the fruit of a mere mistake. God is doing something positive, something more than, quote, drawing good from evil, although God does that too, which will contribute to the richness of the unity of Christ's church, even if this divine work comes to fruition only in the final eschatological consummation of all things, rather than, as I hope and pray, in the bringing together of separated Christians into one church, even in our day. So first of all, that was a a great uh, just introduction. Why don't you talk through maybe first a little bit of your background uh, in the church and then maybe how you came to this appreciation and this desire for unity in the
1: church. Well, you know, my, my background is that I grew up without, without faith. I, I don't know if you know that, but I grew up without um, Jesus or without, without um, Bible or without, without God. But my, my mom was a spiritual seeker. My brother and I grew up in a, in a Quaker meeting, a silent worship that was mainly um, political. It was, it wasn't, there was no, there was no God there, but there was a lot of, there were sort of ex, ex-Christians ex who were seeking, seeking um, some sort of uh, presence perhaps. I mean, there was, it was a lot of politics, a lot of um, more uh, essentially left-wing politics, hmm. but it was a very wonderful, a very wonderful people often. And, and my, and so, so then really it was up to my brother and me to, you know to either follow my mom's example in terms of her seeking she she was a person um she died in 2019 uh she was a person of of prayer and contemplation as she grew older you know um after essentially after I was out of the house but really maybe the beginning in my teenage years you know she would read the bible and and pray each morning you know and so and and the thing is though that she'd been raised baptist hmm. <laughs> Now, now that now she didn't she didn't talk about that, um, you know, and she wasn't. I don't think she. This was um, Southern Baptist in North Carolina in Mount mm-hmm. Airy. She was she's from Andy Griffith's hometown.
0: Oh yeah, she's she's a real Baptist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, but so she the reason um, what caused her faith crisis, I, I suppose it really was, was just that she saw a good bit of uh, racial di- discrimination and just sort of the the atmosphere of racism that would have been present in the the South in the 1950s and mm-hmm. early sixties, you know, and so that made an impact on her and she, she became a, a Quaker. And, and then for, and then in my childhood years, um, you know, she was, she was sort of trying to work her way back to Jesus and work her way back to God. So anyway, this is kind of the, the background. And so then, then in my own case, I, I had to simply seek, um, you know, and so I did, I did, I did through novels really was, I didn't know that theology existed. <laughs> you know, I didn't at all, but, uh, I, I read, I read novels like, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, Dostoevsky fan and then other novels, you know, uh, Walker Percy mm-hmm. and, and that type of stuff. And I went I went to the university of North Carolina, which is where I graduated from as undergrad. And, and there it was there that I began to, um, you know began to feel that I just couldn't go on um you know without without god or without jesus and and so I, and these novelists were were saying there was some hope there was some you know meaning anyway so that that's kind of that's a that's sort of the background and then i i tried to become a novelist and then <laughs> i found my then i found myself writing stories and i thought i thought who cares about these dumb stories because not only was i a bad novelist but <laughs> I I didn't care about the stories at all because I wanted to know is god real? Mm-hmm. Is there what is the meaning of is there any meaning to this world and is there any purpose at all is um where is everything just sort of like a veneer that covers um sort of endless um uh, nothingness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and so th- these were very existential questions that I had <laughs> this is in my early 20s <laughs> and um anyway so that was how uh I just simply read i i went to duke divinity school library i got married we my wife and i married in college and and so I went to there she was studying at the public policy school at duke and so I went to their duke divinity school library and just and just started reading because i'm a i'm a super fast reader i always i always had that gift uh, my father is a professor
2: mm-hmm.
1: so anyway that was kind of and so i just read it and, and and by the time you know i did. I mean, God just led me into the Catholic Church, and I'm very grateful for that. But I never had to reject um, anything evangelical. Mm-hmm. I never had to go through the. I never went through the Reformation in a way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Now, did you did you uh, try out Presbyterian, Anglican, Baptist, you know, campus ministries, or or did you kind of come into a Catholic church and really feel like this is this is where I want to be? How did that work out?
1: well you know um before before I started really um seeking um i i had i thought i mean my my mom had been developing fairly fast there toward the end of my high school years you know and so and i would i was um watching her example mm-hmm. and anyway and and so i did go i didn't i didn't really think about i just thought I just wanted to see what the whole Jesus thing was. So I, I remember in my freshman year of college, um, I did go for some time to intervarsity. I think mm-hmm. it was. I think it was. It was something like intervarsity. Yeah. It wasn't, but it really it was the where I went to college um, for the first two years was Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and and that was a very secular um, school, and and the 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 intervarsity was essentially near dead. Mm-hmm. You know, it was. It was just like five people. None of, none of us really believed in anything. We were just, <laughs> and, and we were just reading the Gospel of Mark, I remember. Mm. And and it does it, it really wasn't much. Um, and so I did I did that. And then I also, I went occasionally to hear, um, there's an African-American preacher. When I transferred to North Carolina, there was an African-American preacher, um, this black preacher down, down um, in Chapel Hill, who was amazing. Mm. And, and I was doing some some work on, um, you know, Southern, uh, black literature novels. <laughs> yeah. So I did that and I went there and then I went, and also they had a great Methodist, um, at the, at just the, the Methodist parish right there, mm. Methodist church right there on, on, by campus. And mm. I, and I heard him, um, some also as he would preach, but none, none of this. See, I didn't know theology existed at all. So I all this sort of was more, I was sort of looking on from outside really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so you've got this background, um, uh, <laughs> you know, having a mother who's not a Catholic uh, going through some of the uh, campus ministry and the seeking and stuff. So I can see why, you know, there, there's a desire for unity there that you see that, you know, the goodness and all these other traditions and these people that you've known, um, you know, I, I was telling you uh, before we started, you know, being um, at a Baptist Christian university, you know, a question that I've heard, and I've heard this in, in church settings as well as a pastor. It, very often you hear some kind of question of, are Catholics Christians? A lot of Protestants, you know, depending on the tradition of Protestantism they come from, uh, is that as common in the Catholic church? Like, is, that, is that a lay question in the Catholic church? Are Protestants, are evangelicals Christians? Or what's, what's the perspective from the other side? Uh, on your maybe your average layperson in the Catholic Church.
1: Well, the you know the the Catholic Church is so the experience of like being in a Catholic parish. Yeah. You know, um, there'd be a wide diversity, a wide diversity of people in that parish, and so so there'll be very devout Catholics who are um, reading, doing Bible studies and um doing all sorts of things and um volunteering for caring for the poor and all sorts of stuff and they'll they'll essentially be um a set of very devout Catholics within a parish mm-hmm. and then there'll be um Catholics who who really really aren't particularly devout you know maybe they were raised Catholic and they just they continue to go to a to worship service, mm-hmm. you know? Um, then, then there'll be other Catholics who just sort of show up every now and again, kind of. Yeah, And then there might be also, um, you know, Catholics who have essentially just become political activists. You know, they, they think of faith in strictly political terms mm-hmm. as um, trying to build up a better, a better world. I always say that if Jesus had come to build a better world he would have invented penicillin or um, <laughs> you know or he would have shown better farming methods. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, not what he was preaching, not what he was working on. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a uh, that's encouraging actually to hear that uh you know every tradition has their uh you know Christmas and Easter Christians and the varying <laughs> levels of, you know, when students yeah, ask. So there
1: is this diversity then I think in the yeah. Catholic church. And so, and, 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 in part that, that leads, that can lead some um, of my evangelical friends to really be scandalized, Yeah, you know, because they, they see that in these Catholic parishes there, um, there would be people who identify as Catholics, but who are clearly um not, not knowledgeable or really caring at all. Yeah. You know about um, our Lord Jesus Christ. But, but again, that's, that's uh, definitely not at the heart of the Catholic experience.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now that, that crosses all traditions for sure. Um, so let's start with, with maybe big picture unity. What are some things that you would say Catholics and Protestants, major doctrines, ma- major con- confessions and convictions that we all agree on?
1: Well, we got to start with Jesus Christ. And so he's the, he's the sole mediator. You know, he's the incarnate Lord. Um, he's uh, fully man and fully God. You know, he is the son of God, the son of the Father who sends the Spirit. Um, and then he is Savior, uh, universal Savior. Uh, no one is saved uh, who is outside of Christ, um, and then I'm sure there's a number of other uh, doctrines that I'm forgetting to mention about our Lord, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I really do feel that, um, our Lord is the, is the center, you know, and that's the, that's the heart. That's what, that's what unites, um, Catholics and evangelicals. And, and then of course we also believe in the Holy Trinity together,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: you know, these are very, <laughs> these are really crucial things.
0: <laughs> yeah. I have a, yeah. When students ask me that question, one of the things I like to say is, you know, um, the Catholics tend to do the doctrine of the Trinity better than we do. So uh, before you go uh, slinging mud at the Catholics, remember that their doctrine of God is, is really, really good (laughs) and the one that we should, uh, we should generally agree to. So let's, let's be careful how, how much mud we sling on that. Um, But I'd say, you know, here's the the three things I think are pretty common and, and you can just address these one at a time, if you'd like that. I think at least from a Protestant perspective are the rift in the discussion, particularly for people that are maybe not knowledgeable about the canons and, and Vatican II and all these different ways that, that it's developed over time and, and things like that. But it's typically justification by faith. So a lot of people assume Catholics believe in justification by works, um, veneration of Mary, the, the assumption that there's this, this worship of Mary or this elevation of Mary that is that is uh, illegitimate. Um, and then the mediation or the authority of the Pope uh, over scripture. That's kind of the, th- now I'm not saying these are true. I'm saying these are the three sort of things that come up. You have You have justification by faith, you have Mary and you have the authority of the Pope. So um, I want to give you an opportunity as a, as a Catholic theologian to maybe work through uh, briefly those doctrines and where you think maybe uh, Protestants are unfair in the characterization of, of how you view these things. And then what, what is an actual Catholic position on justification by faith, Mary and the authority of the Pope uh, in relation to Scripture in particular? Take as much time as you want to to work <laughs> well, through that. <laughs> these are
1: wonderful, and and I do I talk about these some somewhat in the um the book about yeah. the, was the Reformation mistaken? I try to I try my best there. Um, now he now does in brief. Uh, I'm not going to really be able to answer these questions that are so um, so deep, but um, in brief, I think that we all believe in um, justific, justification by faith. That essentially the the problem comes when the problem really has to do with um, whether just justification uh, sanctifies. I mean, that, that's really the issue, really. Um, so everybody, everybody who's a Christian has to believe in justification by faith. You, you're, you have no, you're not, you're not worthy of justification. You're, you're never worthy of being justified by our Lord. It's absolutely free grace. It's, it's totally His gift. It's there's no, there's nothing that I have in myself that. I could ever possibly. I mean, I'm just a sinner, you know. There's, I, there's, I can never deserve a justification, not even the slightest bit. But but so the problem comes in, you know, when it has to do with uh, the, what what justification does to the the sinner, you know, and sort of when justification does that mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. And so um, so then the basic problem in when you go back to the Council of Trent. Um, the Council of Trent uses this Aristotelian language that can can be very confusing to to people, and and I've seen I've seen this with some of my evangelical friends it's who who sort of read up on this, and so some of them know that that the Council of Trent teaches that the final cause the final cause of justification is our charity, you know, mm. and and so this sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> And it's kind of funny because, but unfortunately, final cause doesn't mean, um, it's just, final cause is totally different from efficient cause or, Mm -hmm. and from, from, it's just a misunderstanding of terms. Yeah. So final cause is simply, it does means like what, um, you know, it's like the, the end or goal of the purpose and, and, and so on. It's not, so there's a misunderstanding. Um, it's not cause the way that we understand um, cause, but but basically, the Catholics believe that um, justification really changes the the justified person immediately, mm. and so uh, immediately, as soon as as soon as God justifies the soul, you know, immediately that soul is is um, has has charity, you know, and so so that seems to be the the difference in terms of how that's worked out, but. I myself don't, I don't think that there's really that big a difference between Catholics and and Protestants on this issue, although I did, I did have a Lutheran friend one time, um, this was many years ago, he would tell me that, that it really, our, our salvation, our, our salvation doesn't depend at all, not even at all upon whether we have charity, whether we are, Hmm. whether, you know, we could be spending our days as axe murderers and it just doesn't matter so long as we believe. You mm-hmm. know? And and to me that's that's not biblical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um there is I think that the scripture talks about um tran- transformation and about um the justified person being transformed and configured to to our lord and and then St. Paul talks about, you know, um that uh you know, essentially axe murderers are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that Jesus talks about people who who say they say say yes Lord but yes Lord but but then don't do you know, yeah. and they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And anyway, so so I I, I truly think though, that when I talk to my evangelical friends, um, you know it's it's the same thing really. You know that, that's my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah. So justification is uh yeah, in many circles would be justification is. Uh, this sort of declaration, this standing before God, whereas you might say justification is not just the declaration, but the transformation that comes from that that leads to a telos of salvation. Yeah, like yeah, that.
1: that's that's a difference. That's a yeah. difference. But 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 it is it's um, you know, I don't know. To me, it's a it's a difference that. Usually, my evangelical friends, when they say that, though, they'll immediately say that, of course, in the second moment we're transformed. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's like, okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I see it as a I understand the distinction, and I think it it has a, the distinction has importance. Sure. And then the question is, um, you know, which is true? And i I don't mean to I don't mean to um, minimize all this, but I do think that it's fairly. I think it's close. When I talk to my evangelical friends, they don't. You know Mary is often like the one that they really don't um that, that really causes consternation
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: you know but the pope the pope it depends on on who's pope you know, like... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well,
0: that was that was going to be a follow up question uh to the pope question um yeah so <laughs> so how how would you uh just maybe give a a summary of uh, mariology in the Catholic Church what it is what it isn't
1: the core of Catholic mariology is that um, she's the mother of the Lord. So, I mean, that's just, that's just sort of the absolute core. And so, so really that if you, if you want to, if I think Catholics and, and evangelicals could really, can really, um, you know, begin by just meditating upon, you know, what it means to be, um, you know, the, the mother, the mother of the Lord and, and what, and what an incredible privilege that is, mm-hmm. you know, think, think of it, you know, so sometimes people, especially, I think, especially men, uh, sometimes people think of pregnancy as simply a physical relationship
0: mm.
1: to the child, you know, almost as, almost as though Mary was a surrogate mother. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Just a ve just a vehicle.
1: Yeah. 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 And so that, that can't be right. That That can't mm. be right. And so. And so Mary also, you know, then Catholics also then Catholics look then to the Holy Scripture to, to, um, to see what did God prepare? Did God prepare this, um, this temple, you know, Mary is a, Mary has a temple, really a mm-hmm. temple of the Lord, the truest, the truest possible temple. Of course, we know that Jesus is also, um, you know, in the Holy Scripture, you know, his body is a, is a temple, mm-hmm. but but Mary is a, is a temple of the Lord, and that, and so was she prepared? Was she was she sanctified the way that the way that the ancient Israelites would sanctify their temple? You mm-hmm. know, remember there was, of course, the problem with the the problem with the temple in Jerusalem was that it wasn't very holy. <laughs> right, you know, so you had to, so God could not dwell there. God could not dwell in this in this temple in Jerusalem. I mean, because well, God left it, you know, mm-hmm. well because it wasn't holy. It was, it was defiled. It, it needed renewal. Well, so this is important. I think, you know, as Catholics ponder the, the scriptures about, about Mary, we, you know, you think about this, you think about what, what it is, it, is there, is there scriptural evidence that Mary was, um, a defiled, um, temple, hmm. you know, or is there evidence that, that she was was holy, and so of course, of course, then Catholics think about her um, her answer to the angel Gabriel, you know. Of course, and and then, but I I feel that the problem is that this can be taken polemically, you know, as if Catholics are trying to to use um, Mary to sort of to sort of, um, you know, as, as almost almost like a tool to persuade to persuade evangelicals, you know, to 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 do something, or, you know. Mm-hmm, right. I mean, essentially, it's not that. In other words, it's not that Catholics are not—at least, I'm speaking for myself. You know, not not trying to be wily and to try to persuade evangelicals about about it. Really, yeah. about anything. I'm just I'm just testifying to my own um, uh, sense of uh, Mary. Yeah. And so my own sense of Mary really is that is that she, um, you know, really was the holy temple, and that she'd been prepared by the Lord and And that she was a holy temple only because of the Lord and mm-hmm. only because of her relationship to um Jesus Christ, which was the relationship that the Lord had prepared from all eternity yeah and and I think she was a holy temple, and I think she was full of grace, and I think she was um blessed among all women mm-hmm. and I think that all generations are called to um praise her, um as Elizabeth says. And I think that if she wasn't holy, she could not have said yes um to the Lord. Um be it I mean, talk about holiness. She said, Be it done to me according to thy will. Mm. Or be it to be it to me according to thy will. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember saying that I've said that a couple of times to the Lord, but then I've always added a little um caveat saying, So long <laughs> as it's so long as it's also good. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like how many times have I said like be it to be according to thy will? I I can't remember. I I don't I do i even do I even trust god's will? see that's a problem i'm I'm a bit of a defiled temple mm. i'm I'm trying to become a holy temple uh asking for god's grace to to make me a holy temple but but I certainly don't want it done according to god's will i want it, I want it done um according to my to my will
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and I don't understand oftentimes i don't understand the mystery of God's will you know especially if you're talking about like sending your son to get crucified mm. I mean, to me that sounds awful. You know, it's like it's like, hello, you know, I don't even, I don't want any of my children killed. You know, mm-hmm. not at all. Well, and, and anyway, so anyway, so so the, it, essentially the doctrine of about um Mary then begins in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that that's the core of it. And then there's um and then it's sort of I mean, I don't know, should I should I say more? What what do you what do you think?
0: <laughs> I was gonna yeah, I was gonna say, you know, is is so Two things I think go on from the Protestant perspective. I think one is that there is somewhat of an overreaction to Catholicism where there is a, well, we don't want holy, sinless, immaculate conception, Mary, uh, therefore we need to run the other way. And she almost doesn't get maybe the proper due that she should get in Protestant circles, even if we don't agree on every jot and tittle of the theology. Uh, But it sounds to me kind of what you're talking about is almost like a a her virginity is a typology of more than just physical virginity, right? Which is typically what um, I think people think of when they think of her virginity as, well, she's not had sex with a man, therefore she is clean, therefore, uh, you know, God can, can be Jesus's father in kind of a, a real way and all, all the stuff that comes into hypostatic union. Whereas it seems like you're building that into, uh, uh, and not I don't mean this in a pejorative way, you're building this into more of a theological typology of holiness from her, her virginity, not just a biological or physical thing.
1: Oh, yeah. interesting. Her virginity. See, the truth is, the truth is, I hadn't even thought of her virginity. I mean, I hadn't yet. <laughs> well, so just, you're, you're, was, you're was, way off from Protestantism. The fact that, I was just saying that Eve, that she was mother of of um of the of of God. Yeah. You know, in other words, like her son was God. That sounds pretty. That sounds that's, something's pretty good there. So <laughs> even if even if she hadn't been virgin, even if the um child had been conceived with Joseph, it would still be still be exactly the same thing. Yeah. And and so. No, I, I hadn't even got to me. I hadn't even got to the virginity yet because um, remember, she's full of grace. She's blessed among all women, as Elizabeth says um, in in the gospel, and and so, you know, she's 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 by far the most blessed uh, mere creature hmm. that has ever existed. And so, no, no, um, her virginity—that's kind of that's a, that's a different topic. You know? uh, <laughs> but,
0: uh, <laughs> that was me just, that was me, uh, that, I guess that was how I was receiving it. So
1: I'm talking about her motherhood and, yeah, then, yeah. and then the biblical, te- the biblical testimony, the biblical testimony to, um, her holiness, Yeah. you know, um, that she's full of grace. She's blessed among all women. And then, um, that she says, um, be it done to me according to thy word, you know, however you, however you translate that. Yeah. And I understand that there's different translations and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, then then you have things like the virginity. So so for the, for Catholics, the virginity is like is a different doctrine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, go 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 ahead and uh, go ahead and spend a minute on that if you want. Then yeah, that's helpful. Uh,
1: you know, so as you as you unfold you you know your Marian doctrine, then you you meditate upon her virginity. Well, because that's a biblical truth mm-hmm. you know, that she was a virgin. But then but then you have to. Then you have to think. Well, well, what does that mean? You know, what is what's the purpose of telling us that? <laughs> you, you know, and so and then then there's the question also, like, um, you know, did she have other children? Yeah. You know, and and that it, the the Bible, you know, my my friend James Prothro uh, in Pro Ecclesia published uh, an essay on this whole question um, in the past year or two. James Prothro's essay uh, I thought was was very informative. Mm. Uh, um in terms of in terms of how a catholic would think about this anyway, anyway and so that that becomes a question like like um but her the question of her virginity what was the what was the purpose of that you know why why does the gospel tell us that you know and that that becomes um something that that Catholics ponder mm-hmm. but but i think i again what i would what i would say is that Catholics and evangelicals um you know, really, we, we have a core agreement about Mary. And, and that core agreement is Mary is mother of the divine son. Mm-hmm. And so she must be the most blessed mere creature that has ever existed. That, that you just can't, it can't be better than that. Yeah. You know, to really be the mother of Jesus Christ, the savior of the whole world, the internal son of God. You know that's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So so I feel like I feel like we have we have a bond of unity there that we both believe that. Yeah. And then um. And then it, you know, then, uh, Catholic Catholic understanding of Mary, um, it does include it includes things like her perpetual virginity. Mm-hmm. Um. Because because Catholics believe that there was a reason for her virginity, and the right. reason for her virginity, is that. There is. Um, well purpose human sexuality has a purpose, and the purpose is um to beget images of god that 's the purpose the purpose of human sexuality really is it's it 's a theological thing it has a goal mm-hmm. and it 's to it 's to beget children you know i mean ultimately, and of course there 's many other purposes, yeah, I'm not trying to deny that but but um but the key the key thing. Is that human sexuality? Imagine if 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 we had no if we had no sexuality, we would never have any children. It's just quite clear. Yeah. Quite clear that um and children are such a joy and they're the they're the they're um God's gift. You know, and so in biblically speaking, we can say that we can say that the purpose of human sexuality, the primary purpose is is um children, and children are images of God. Mm-hmm. Well, so Mary, Mary gives birth to the image of God. You see the image with a capital I, you know, and, and absolutely all her service is devoted to this perfect image.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is the purpose of homosexuality is to, she has accomplished the purpose, you know, she has, her son is, is the image with a capital I, you know, and, and the image with a lowercase I, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but the perfect image. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, so Catholics think along those terms, but, but also we think in terms of, um, you know, in terms of like the the Bible, well, um, I I point you to the, I would point my, the audience to the essay by James Prothro who goes through the biblical witness on the on this point. Mm-hmm. But so then then the other the other doctrine that seems to be touchy, you know, is the doctrine that Mary was assumed into heaven after mm-hmm. her death. You know, and so because uh, Protestants wonder where in the heck could you get that out of? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a chapter or verse for that. So, uh.
1: <laughs> well, well, Catholics do <laughs> anyway. So, and the Catholic verse is um, the Book of Revelation, and essentially what it is is what what how Catholics read this is is um, that in in the Gospels of of Luke and and then especially once you're looking at the gospel to, of john um, mary is called woman mm. you know and so that becomes a sense that she's the new eve you know so there's a, a bit of uh, i mean she's as catholics read the gospel of luke and the gospel of john um it's it seems to us that seems to the catholic reader that that mary is the new eve mm-hmm. and that um and so then this she's called woman and the in the way that she's called woman, um anyway, then once you get to Re- revelation eleven to twelve, you know there there we see her as as the the ark, the ark bearing the lord, yeah you know and and of course, and of course, people say, well you know it then then it becomes a matter really of. Of like, how do you understand um, these scriptural texts? You know, how how is the way that God intended us for inter- to interpret these? Like, if like if if you say, um, you know, like I might say, I might say, you know, like these dumb Catholics, you know, how did they get that out of Revelation eleven to twelve?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, um, and and but the obviously the answer is that. Mary was seen as the Ark of the Covenant, as the as the Ark, the Ark who bears the, the Lord. And there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about Mary um, in Revelation 11 to 12. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the Ark of the Covenant is seen there, um, you know, there in heaven. And so, and so, like, how did this? How did Catholics do this? Well, then the question becomes like, when God, when God gave us the Scripture, the Holy Scripture. Um, did God intend to us intend for us to wait for 1,500 years until historical methods had been developed, you know, and then finally we could wait another 500 years until until um, you know you know maybe until NT Ray comes longer or whatever, you know. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, my point is my point is like, how did God intend for us to read these things? And and I'd like to. Suggests that that at least St. Paul thought that typological reasoning, you know, ty- um, you know, reasoning with the Bible, because the Bible uses a lot of typologies. So, anyway, that's obviously how it how it came to be is that is that um, that that these early Christians were were reading like St. Paul and and i don't i don't see any evidence that, that god would said hang on don't interpret anything yet until you get the historical um critical method <laughs> you know which and which comes out in the renaissance the renaissance right. is where you where you get kind of um you know more a uh, historical sense of um that would be what we would call critical yeah and and so that would be like about 1500 years after jesus yeah a- anyway so, you're, no, so you're, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I, I haven't given a good answer. I haven't, I'm not saying I've given the, um, anybody the be- best answer. I've just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at, I'm not good at uh, explaining anything. Or <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, it's good. I mean, so yeah, revelation uh, 11 to 12, you have the woman, the child and the dragon, you have the ark of the covenant there. So, um, sounds to me like what you're saying is, you know, essentially John is already taking the story typologically and, and painting a picture. So Catholics would say, well, if the ark of the covenant is in heaven, if she is the temple, the ark of the covenant that bears the Lord, then she's already there. So is that is that
1: a? Well, yeah, it, but of course it it all depends upon her her place as as the new Eve and, right. and as and also the fact that also the fact that um she's she is the temple of the Lord. You know, she's the, you know, Christ comes and dwells in her. <laughs> you know, and so it's like it's like um, you know you know how you know how in Raiders of the Lost Ark they're always looking for. What are, aren't they looking for the Ark of the Covenant in that movie? Mm. Do, you, do you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford? And yeah, yeah,
0: I think it's called the Ark of the Covenant in there. I think that's right. Yeah, somebody, yes, somebody, so somebody's yelling at us. Ark.
1: I think they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> and so, and the Ark of the Covenant, man, all it had was the manna, yeah. it, you know? And so... And so then, then the temple, the temple itself, the Jewish temple, had the Lord's presence, but it was, the temple was defiled, uh, temp, the temple of Solomon, and, and then the rebuilt temple, and, yeah. but it's been destroyed. But, but imagine, though, imagine the beauty and, and the, um, the glory, really the glory, um, the God-given glory, not any glory innate to, the, to human resources, but the glory of the temple that truly actually held the true Lord, hmm. Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do? Just throw that temple, you know, like six feet under and just <laughs> uh, forget about it, you know, say, well, there, there goes the new Eve, there goes the temple. It's like, let's bury that, you know? And, yeah. I mean, for Catholics, it just doesn't make sense and, and ne- nor scripturally um, need it. I mean, in other words, you read revelation 11 12, If you're if you're reading it as a Catholic you just think, okay, that makes sense. But <laughs> anyway, and then also uh, there's other things in the fact that of course, um, well, I, I'll, I'll end there because I don't want to. I'm not good at persuading anybody. So I'm sure that I persuade all my all my wonderful evangelical brethren to think that think Catholics are silly.
0: No, I think I think the worst case scenario is I get an email from somebody saying uh, that was so good that you're converting people to Catholics. <laughs> How dare you? That's what's going to happen. Um, well, let, let's shift to the to the last one. I think that that's a, a pretty big sticking point. Obviously, is. Um, is the Pope, the authority of the Pope, the mediation of the Pope. I think there's just a lot of, some of it is misconception, I think of what the Pope's actual role is in the Catholic church. You know, you've got, uh, you know, I, I hear the critique of, well, if the Pope is supposed to be the head of the church and supposed to be the mediator, well, nobody seems to like Pope Francis very much. And so nobody, so he's saying things that the Catholic church doesn't like he's the Pope. Well, there's obviously, you know, speaking ex cathedra and all these different things. So, um, yeah. And then obviously you've got, of course, the Protestant Reformation background of Luther uh, and the Popes, which uh, is almost its own can of worms. So how would you talk through um, maybe that, you know, how, how was the Pope functioning when Luther had the Reformation? Is there a difference in the way the Pope functions now? Was there, an, was there a legitimate abuse that was, that was being responded to by Luther? Was he right? Uh, how, how do you talk through some of, some of that kind of, those kind of issues there?
1: Oh well that's a good question. And and then for me, um, you know, for me it really begins um biblically, you know, but but then then um so it I'll I'll put now that for the biblical part to the side because I, I really want to emphasize something, you know, which is maybe gonna surprise people. But the basic thing is that Catholics Catholics don't like popes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the
0: most controversial thing you said today, I think. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, Catholics don't like popes. Um there've been really there've been a bunch of terrible horrible popes <laughs> and and what what popes are is like you know sometimes imagine think of it like this that sometimes um if you if you're at an at a university or or something you you'll have a president you know or or even if you have a country like a nation like the United States you know sometimes you have a president that you really like you know and maybe maybe we could do the United States, you know? And so Abraham Lincoln, we can all agree, I hope um, that Abraham Lincoln was a really, was a, a great president. Although, although um, you know, at least I, I certainly think he was. Yeah. But then there's been a, a bunch of terrible presidents <laughs> at least at least that's my view mm-hmm. um, my father was an american historian and so i grew up um i grew up i didn't know anything about any popes but i knew i knew a lot about american american presidents <laughs> anyway, anyway so there've been a lot of terrible ones and and a lot of times people don't remember the 19th century presidents mm-hmm. um, but they were really awful a lot of them were you yeah. know and so and so popes are like that you know, is that sometimes you get you get a good one, you know, and 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 also also some people think they're, that, that this one is good and other people think that one is good. Right. Yeah. You know, and but the thing is, is that is that it's a it's a terrible job. You know, it's like um, you've got this you've got this church and and Christians hate agreeing with each other. That's a, that's one of the things <laughs> that we hate to do most.
0: That crosses traditions as well, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Catholics, Catholics. Um, I, I am currently involved in ecumenical dialogue um, between Jesuits and Dominicans. Hmm. You know, these are two versions of two yeah. um, orders, two societies of um, priestly societies within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I call it ecumenical dialogue. You know? <laughs> Even
0: within the yeah, same tradition. But,
1: but the whole point is that Catholics love to disagree with each other. Yeah. You, you've never you've never had animosity like you used to have in the year 1900 between a, a Jesuit and a and a Dominican in the Catholic church. Hmm. I mean, they love Protestants compared to that, you know. <laughs>
0: the Jesuits like the the Baptists more than they like the Dominicans. So. Oh, absolutely.
1: 100%. No, but you you see, I'm I'm joking a little bit. But the thing yeah. is that that it's very difficult. Um, Christians don't like to stay together because we're we always um, finding things that we disagree about. And I'm talking about within the Catholic Church. I'm not talking about um, outside. I don't know what it's like to be um, outside uh, as a Christian outside the Catholic Church. Yeah. I'm just talking about within the Catholic Church. So, so the Pope is um anyway, so there have been a bunch of terrible popes. And and so my, my point is like Catholics just don't like the popes. <laughs> so the Pope though uh plays sort of a a function, and and the function is is somehow to help us, you know, to keep Christ's church, you know, united. Um, so that we might all be one in some sense, you know, and, and it, my, my view about the Pope is if anybody else has a better idea, let's, let's hear it. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, see, uh, senior pastors and evangelical churches have been uh, flawless. So maybe that's, the, <laughs> maybe that's right.
1: <laughs> well, you know, how, yeah, you know how to so say, so, so there's a, it's always a, it's always a mess kind of. Yeah. And, and so then the question though, I mean, ultimately the question boils down to, as I see it, the question boils down to is the is essentially the Catholic Church or or and my evangelical friends tend to call it like the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Whereas uh Catholics Catholics member would definitely um not think of it that way because because that would be emphasizing Rome too much. Mm. You know, I mean, in other words, like Rome, you know, I, I was speaking for myself, I've never been to Rome, you know, and yeah. so so also remember most catholic doctrine almost all catholic doctrine doesn't come from Rome it it, it um originates anywhere but Rome <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? right and so so Rome it's like Rome is important but it's not that important yeah you know? not for a catholic but but the thing is is that um the question is i i think boils down to the to, the, to really has the as the catholic church um corrupted um the truth of the truth of christian faith has it has it corrupted the christian the Christian faith. And then if, if it has corrupted the truth of Christian faith, you know, where is that, where is that truth uh, found, Mm -hmm. you know, and if it's found in, in the Bible, then you have to ask yourself, well, did the Catholic church corrupt the canon? Right. And if it's, if the Catholic church corrupted the canon, um, you would need to then revise the canon. But on, on what grounds would you know that you've arrived at, at, at the true canon? once you begin to revise the canon on what grounds, well you would have certain grounds and so on. I, I understand all this. So so to me then um Protestants or Evangelicals and Catholics can disagree and stuff about that. But but the main thing is that the Catholics um the Pope the role of the Pope in the Catholic Church is um is just uh to help us get by. It's like the um like like the commissioner in the in the National Basketball Association. You know, so <laughs> You, you you see, I, was saying, I mean, it's like yeah. the the LeBron James is 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 far more important and far more interesting than the commissioner. But the commissioner, it is true, could could one day announce that LeBron James can no longer play. Right. You know, and and then you would say he's corrupted our he's corrupted our game. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or something. I mean, it's like yeah. that. Any, anyway, but I don't I don't know if I I could say a lot more about the papacy. But that. Yeah to me that there's something that unites evangelicals and Catholics, even about the papacy. Yeah. And that is two, well, two things, really. One, one thing is that we both care about the unity that Christ promised for his church. And then the second thing is that neither of us likes um, the Pope normally. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so would you say, it seems like uh, John Paul II had a pretty, pretty good approval rating. Is that true? Or is that, is that a misconception? seems like everybody, uh, Catholics, Protestants, everybody liked him.
1: Yeah, uh, but he remember he he gone straight on the bus because he he um approved of the cardinal McCarrick and he wasn't really very good at handling um like the the deep um corruption of priests yeah. after the after the council. I mean, it wasn't of course his fault that the priests the priesthood had become so corrupt after the council. Yeah, but there was this um this terrible uh, sexual uh deviancy yeah uh, in all ways and and unfortunately he he did some things and including with the Cardinal McCarrick and stuff. And he's, he's, so he's fully under the bus. Yeah, that's true. So, he, so he had by, a good, he had it, one
0: going for a while there, but yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, we had that going, but he's, he's been, he's been shown to be a human being. And so we've driven over him and, and left <laughs> him.
0: Uh... <laughs> yeah. I think the, the one that's interesting to me, I, I love reading uh, Benedict uh, Ratzinger. Like I love reading him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he know.
1: resigned. And so we put him on a bus and we rolled right yeah, in. I was, I was about to ask that question.
0: <laughs> I was like, you know, you may have had something until he resigned and then it, uh, so, um, who would but, you say?
1: I, I, I'm not criticizing these. I'm not criticizing these people because, you know, um, it, it is very difficult to be a Christian leader, you know, and to, and to get everything right. You, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think about, um, you know, I'm just thinking about a Christian leader that I admire, which would be like Martin Luther King or Billy Graham, you know, mm-hmm. um, but these people did not get everything right. Um, you know, it's just it's a difficult thing. So I'm, I'm not criticizing the, the people who who do this. In fact, I, I admire them. You know, that I love mm-hmm. I love John Paul, I love um, Benedict. And I was just I was just pointing out that 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 we have we have um, uh, driven the bus over them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, it seems it
0: seems like Francis is, is seems pretty firmly under under it already. It didn't seem like it took him very long to get there. But what what's the what, what's kind of the current you know, obviously you're you're not speaking for all Catholics everywhere, but what's kind of the the, the common perception of Francis as a pope among Catholics?
1: Oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, of course most most Catholics don't pay much attention to the pope, you know. <laughs> You gotta remember that. Even even very even very devout Catholics, you don't have to pay attention. I mean, in other words, he's the Pope is just the Pope, you know? Yeah. It's like um, you know, you don't pay that much attention um to the Pope. It's it's just remember the Pope's the Pope's solemn authority comes when he speaks at, as Catherine, the way you, you just mentioned. Yeah. And so if the Pope is not speaking with his solemn authority, then the Pope is simply does he he's a a, a very important leader and mm-hmm. he does a lot of things um, in his office but but to be a catholic you you know you you wouldn't actually have to read any of that you know or even to even to know anything about him at all hmm. to, be a, to be a saint a catholic yeah you know, who is someone who is um filled with faith and and so on so So I'm sure that I mean there are differences of opinion about about um, Pope Francis and he's a very complex figure. So you know it seems like you know um, you know that John Paul II was also also um, criticized. Uh, I mean the the main thing is yeah there are there are some there there do appear to be some theological differences. Yeah. you know, truly, tell you the truth, that it seems to me that Pope Francis would be more his views of the church would be would be in some ways, you know, I I, I in what I as I was about to say something about Pope Francis, I just realized he is such a complicated figure that it is difficult to to pin it all down and, and figure out exactly you know what is his his um stance. So uh, you know, far be it from me to um put words into his into his mouth. Yeah. You know, but but I think I think from my own perspective, just as that, that popes are, are not the the crucial reason why, I mean, I, I have admiration for these, for these men who do, who do the job. And and I feel that I I pray, I pray for them and I know that their job is important, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but, but I don't feel that they're central to my, to my faith. Yeah. You you see what I mean?
0: No, I think that would be uh, probably surprising to your average uh, Protestant. The,
1: yeah. Jesus, you, you Jesus that. is, Jesus is the center of my faith.
0: Oh, uh, that, that's novel. That's strange. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, that's helpful. I mean, all, all of that is really helpful clarification. Um, I remember the first time that I was introduced to this idea, I had a, a Catholic friend, you know, it's it probably almost 10 years ago now. Um, you know, I was, a um, a pretty, uh, raging, uh, Calvinist evangelical, uh, you know, guy in my twenties and had a friend who had grown up Catholic and, you know, it's basically like, you believe in justification by works. And, you, you know, you think the Pope is basically next to Jesus and, you know, all the kind of common tropes. And uh, he even in in a, in a less articulate and less knowledgeable way was like, no, that's not actually what the church teaches or what your average Catholic believes. So, um, you know, I think that's still the type of thing that that needs to be clarified and talked through a little bit. So I think that's all really helpful.
1: Yeah. And, and remember, evangelicals are such huge help, huge help to Catholics, because evangelicals remind us that, you know that the center of our faith is Jesus Christ and and he is the only savior he's the only holy uh um man who is able to redeem us you know he's the source of all holiness now um, now we know that he can we know that he can sanctify us he can purify us and he can um you know lead us into that um perfection of holiness that that we we hope to attain yeah and we know that he can do that, and he will do that through his spirit. And we pray that he will. But but that that's our that's our faith, you know. And and the and we hope that we hope that the popes are are holy. But we know that they a lot of times really have have been far far from holy, and and have been very often often imprudent yeah. and all that other stuff. And so I, I feel sorry for. I think Luther, poor Martin Luther, he he made the mistake of going to Rome. You know? <laughs>
0: If he'd, never, if he'd never gone there, he might have been in better shape.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, then he saw, he saw because remember, the Rome that he went to was was infinitely worse than, yeah. um, than like, if you go to Rome now, yeah. his Rome was just so corrupt. It was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, yes. and so terrible, really.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think you, you uh, in the book, uh, one of the things that was helpful to me was you do sort of, touch on that a little bit that like, Hey, you know, Luther had some things to be upset about, you know, he he, oh, yeah. he was right in what he was frustrated about. So it wasn't a mistake. Well, one, you love, you, you love your Protestant brothers and two, yeah, you kind of understand why Luther responded the way he did to some things.
1: Oh yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, it was really, really the corruption was um, unbelievable.
0: So, so. Do, do you think that there's a, would you be willing to say, and it's fine. If not, would you be willing to say that, um, the, the Protestant Reformation helped the Catholic Church uh, in the long in the long run, or um, do you think it, it would? I mean, in the, in the one sense, you have division, so that's never good, right? But on the flip side, what were maybe some of the positives you think that came out of the Reformation in light of how bad Rome was and what was going on there, and what Luther was reacting to?
1: Oh yeah, I think I think a lot of wonderful wonderful reforms came out of there, and and then all and many many good things. Um, you know, the, the church. You know, it's like it's like competi it's in a sense like like competition, like you're you know, when I went as a kid, I as a kid when I was twelve years old or thirteen, I went to the to the Soviet Union and I saw what it was like when when the government was um in, in control of all the stores. Yeah. Because we were going there was nothing in the stores. There was really nothing. Even even in like the state owned stores, it was just nothing really. And so, you know, a little little competition can can um and do wonders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what would you, what would you say is maybe um, the biggest sticking point in your mind, just you personally, as a, as a confessing Catholic, what is the biggest sticking point between Catholics and Protestants? Is it, is it sacraments? Is it the ecclesial structure? What would you say is the biggest, just the hurdle that's the hardest to, to jump over between the the two traditions? Broadly speaking,
1: Gosh, uh, yeah, that's that's a tough one. There, it's um, that's a tough one because because I, I I have to say that it's I mean it's just hard. It's it's um it's kind of like when you're thinking of when you're thinking of um the faith as a whole, you, you know. I mean, now we know that the faith as a whole is 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 really present in Jesus Christ, and so we we share that. Yeah. And and we know that the Trinity contains contains all that is, you know, and in God's own wisdom and God's God's glory, so we share we share a tremendous amount, but but then then when you start to think in terms of um, in terms of division, how do you overcome division? Mm -hmm. And and I don't I don't know I find it difficult because you know what what would it take um, you know for for I, I'm I'm just trying to think out loud here. Like what would it take for for um, say, you know, Catholics and, and Orthodox mm-hmm. to to come together in unit, in full unity? And 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 of course you you got to know that like Catholics and Orthodox have to invent disagreements. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, got to keep that keep that wall up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like you we don't really disagree about that much. And so and so they remember Orthodox say that that Mary is all holy, all mm-hmm. holy, but they reject the doctrine of the immaculate conception. But they they say she never had any sin or anything like it. Yeah. But the reject the doctrine of immaculate conception that they think is wrong. Yeah. yeah. And and Catholics do the same. And so there's other things you see how it goes back back and forth. Yeah. Uh, my my point is that like how do you once once there has been a division, you know how then do you um, how then do you reunite? How do you because because it can't be done, you know if you simply go by one by one, you know let's just say because just imagine think of yourself and your your favorite um, fellow faculty member at your university. Mm-hmm. you and your you and your friend who teach in the same department, you agree about everything except for you really don't agree about one thing you know, maybe maybe like um maybe you have a different doctrine of predestination or or i'm I'm just trying to think, and so no matter what you're going to find that that as you go one by one you're just going to find an area where you just can't agree and you're not going to unite you're not going to unite, yeah, you know, and so my thought is well, it can't be done like that um I don't know how. I think Christians have to pursue unity by by loving Lord Jesus Christ together, but by, by friendships, by doing what you're doing, and and then also just by caring by caring about the Lord. Essentially, what you're, what you're doing seems to me to be the best thing for for unity. Um, but then, but then, hey, you know, it's like if if we disagree with other Christians, um, well, we got to remember that, that Jesus came for, chari- for charity. He came for mm. for um, he has given us a new commandment to to love each other as as he loved us and and so maybe our 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 brethren um you know are are sort of missing the boat in this way or that way and it, even maybe in very serious ways yeah you know and it's kind of unfortunate but but let's just let's give that to the lord that that the Lord will take care of our brethren are missing the boat that's a that's really unfortunate mm-hmm. But we got to give it to the Lord. I'm I'm talking about like if I were an evangelical or if I were a Catholic. Uh, I am a Catholic, but you know, yeah. you know my point. Just as we think about, as we think about the other, um, yeah. you know, we just think, gosh. But, but so, so we could think though that, that at least though we we share these things, and so God be, God be praised for for what we share and for. The fact that we could try to love each other. And now now we still can remind each other that, that we can remind each other that um that the Catholics are just wrong on um <laughs> on this or that, you know. Yeah. And then and then the the Lutheran can remind the the Calvinists that the Calvinist is just wrong on on some or other. Yeah. We can and these are all very serious matters because anything that pertains to the Lord is very serious. So we we know it's serious, but we in the end it's in God's hands and and we know that um we know it's very difficult to in any human power to rebuild rebuild um unity yeah you know but but we do we do give it to the lord and we we just trust just trust him totally and and then and then try to try to be charitable and then care about each other and try to care and, and actually read each other's theology. But well, yeah. I, I speak for myself. I don't, it, I, I just, I just love to, I love to read evangelicals. So I'm going to keep, I keep doing that for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, you're one of my uh, uh, favorite Catholic theologians. I love reading you <laughs> too. And it's not often that I go, oh man, this guy's too Catholic for me to be able to appreciate <laughs> what he's saying. You know? So um, yeah, I think, you know, even in evangelical circles, I think a lot of evangelicals, most are willing to say, well, you can be a Baptist and I'll be a Methodist, but we both agree on all the things that are important. You know, there's not gonna be unanimity on this side of heaven. So we can disagree about this. It does seem to be harder for the Orthodox to say that about the Catholic or the Catholic to say that about the Orthodox or the evangelical to say that about the Catholic, that, hey, this is still an in-house conversation, even though we're disagreeing about serious issues. And I think everybody's willing to do that in their own groups, but the three kind of broader, larger groups of Protestants, Orthodox, and Catholics seem to have a harder time treating it as an in-house conversation.
1: Right because because there's a sense of um you know that that we're united in, um I mean there's different ways of of thinking about what Christian unity means in the, the deepest sense. Yeah. You know and so and so um and so that makes sense that you're going to have different accounts and and it might be that among among evangelicals for example Christian unity may simply be that um you know, and things that are in the confession of faith. I mean, Kevin, Kevin Van Hooser has an account of of, um, of what Christian unity. You know, or, or Jerry Walls, or kind of, I don't know. You know, Reformed Catholicity, or yeah. mm-hmm. these type of things. And so, and so the, their their account of what Christian unity would involve. Um, well, they and they feel that the problem with the Catholics is that is that the Catholics include include being united to. To in communion with the with the Pope as part mm-hmm. of what what Christian unity would involve, yeah, and so Catholics then um you know from a perspective, my friend Kevin van Heger would be sort of exclusionary um mm-hmm. and they would be uh, they've set up a sort of a barrier, Catholics have set up a barrier, and so that's why Catholics, no matter how biblical they might want they might think that they are. Mm-hmm um Catholics are are not you can't treat a Catholic the way you would treat like a Presbyterian or a Methodist or something sure, sure. you know or something i mean that would be the way but well okay i i see the point you know <laughs> yeah yeah you know, you know but and there are these there are these different ways of construing unity you know and so if if evangelicals um if i mean for my friend kevin the the unity that christ willed um uh, look i don't i can't speak i guess i can't speak exactly how the evangelical would would say you know, but I do understand though that there's differences in the way that we construe unity and then we 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 do um set up um stronger stronger walls you mm-hmm. know when we um when we are dealing with each other because- because of that yeah and and so well oh well you know <laughs> my was like oh well it's like it's like uh you know let's I think I think we got gotta do our best then we, yeah. we do our best to remember that that the real true unity is not the the truest unity, you know the truest yeah. unity is Jesus christ, yeah it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's not important um like communion with the pope is not important um, either bad or good you know yeah um but but the truest unity is Jesus Christ. Now that again, I'm not saying that, that doctrine, the other doctrines are unimportant. Like for me, the Eucharist is is incredibly important. Sure. And for Kevin Van Hooser, it's a second order doctrine. Right. And for me, I I I'm amazed by that. I can't I can't agree with that even, not even the slightest bit. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know. But it, it's uh, nonetheless nonetheless the the point is that that. What I really, the center of the Eucharist, why I, why I care about the Eucharist so much, is because it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And and why I care about communion with the Pope is because I believe that that um, it's the will of Jesus Christ. So so at least at least we we can remember that each of us is really trying to cleave to to our Lord Jesus Christ, and that that's our, that's the true unity. Mm-hmm. There is no unity other than Jesus Christ. You know, He is the true unity, and so we. Um, i I don't know then my thought is we just we let we let him we let him figure it out you know know i I
0: remember uh, i remember the first time that that really hit me several years ago i had uh, a meeting i was doing some bible translation work and was meeting with some lutherans and um you know we were driving to this published this lutheran publishing house and i said hey you know you know i'm a kind of a baptist coming in here to this lutheran group so give me a lay of the land. Like, are they going to be suspicious of me? Is there, you know, is, is the work that we're trying to do together? Is that going to be fruitful? How's that, how's that kind of, what, what kind of presuppositions do they have about me as I come into the room? Just so I can kind of know. And I said, like, they consider me a Christian, right? I was like, Oh yeah, of course you're a Christian. Of course. He's like, but by the way, when we go to lunch later, we're not going to pray together. And I was like, oh, so you're a Christian, but we can't pray together. I was like, okay, got it. You know, because there's the, and even, even within the Lutherans, there's Lutherans who don't take communion together and who don't do those kind of things. So that was, that was the first wake up to me. Like, oh, you agreed that I'm a Christian, but we can't pray together. That seems really strange to me, but that does come back to what you're saying. Sort of uh, unity uh, means different things to different people and unity can't mean unanimity. I think uh, in in the fallen world and in, in the world that we live in with, multiple reformations and schisms that have happened throughout church history. Uh, but even if we have those disagreements, perhaps we can at least say we all love Jesus together. And and like you said, uh, you know, the Lord will, will work it all out in the end.
1: That's it. Now these, the the divisions and the doctrines are very important. And and I'm not, I'm not saying they're, they're anything that we should uh, scoff at or anything like that. For sure. I'm just saying that we can remember, we can remember as we're, as we're, insisting upon our doctrines in in terms of our in, in terms of the divisions, you know, we think about that, you know, I'm just saying we remember that the whole point of the doctrines is that we want to get close to that, to that true unity, to the true unity. And the only the only true unity is Jesus Christ. Yeah. So and so then we remember oh yes we're we're all we're all trying to cleave as as best we can guided by grace and the the spirit's grace is um begging for grace. Yeah. You know we're just trying to cleave to our lord Jesus Christ and so and so then we can have a certain appreciation for each other a certain brotherhood and I mean it, you're right there is a certain a certain pain. I mean there's always a pain of um you know there is these divisions it's like yeah when you're when you're um when you're a baptist gathering with a, a bunch of um you know uh, lutherans uh, uh especially like if if you're down in st louis or something and you're you're gathering a bunch of lutherans you're a baptist yeah. you know there is sort of a there is sort of a sorrow that you're not you're not fully one of them you know yeah yep. and and it's a sorrow it's it is it's kind of it's a tragic thing and but but it doesn't mean that we can't have anything you know it means we still need to remember that it's the, the, the fundamental thing is Jesus Christ and and that is our unity. And so even though, even though, um, even though I, as a Catholic, I can't have Jesus Christ without the Eucharist, because I, I always, I think of those as the same as really, you know, uh, the Eucharist is, uh, is our, our, our Lord is there is, yeah. that's, that's what the Eucharist is. But, but nonetheless, you, you see my point? I yeah. can, I, I really can just, I, I can love my, I love the evangelical, uh, faith in the people that i know because i see what they what they love Mm -hmm. and they really love jesus christ and i i know they um that doctrinally they they think that i would have have gone astray here and there but and for me and for me um if i think that they've gone astray here there you know ultimately though there is jesus christ he is real and and we are we in both of us are trying to do our best to to really love him, to love the unity he brings, mm-hmm. to love all the gifts that he offers. And so then I have a I feel a deep bond with um, evangelicals and with anybody who loves Jesus Christ, you yeah. know um, who loves him as the true Lord, the true universal savior, and and so on.
0: Yeah. That's good. Well, that's really helpful. I appreciate you having this conversation with me. Uh, It was as edifying and encouraging as as I thought it would be and hoped it would be. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do that and just for your kind Christian spirit and all this.